want to talk about uh, the topic of emptiness today. It's last week I spoke about fear, and I and I realized that I've been teaching for a while, and I never kind of investigated the topic of fear on its own. And and this week I was thinking emptiness, and I've realized that I've never looked at that topic itself. So this is going to be a journey. I don't know if I'm going to say anything that makes any sense, but thank you all for coming along with me. Um, the reason I wanted to talk about it is I, uh, Stephen Batchelor was here this week, and he's a, he's a very well-known, well-renowned uh, scholar and Buddhist teacher, um, and he taught here on Tuesday night, and he has a new book, and I started reading his book this week, and um, he talks about emptiness. In the very beginning, he talks about emptiness, and he, he says the whole book is going to be an exploration of how we came to the idea of emptiness that we have today in Buddhist teaching when really that wasn't quite what the Buddha taught back in, or what we have in the Pali Canon. And so um, I just want to go uh, on this little journey. I don't know if I'm fully, um, uh, if I fully understand exactly what he's talking about, but that's fine. Um, we'll, we'll see where this takes us. In, in the traditional, or if you uh, talk to anybody who, a teacher, basically what emptiness is, is, is or the, as, as Bachelor talks about, if you, if you listen to the Dalai Lama or something, ultimate truth, emptiness is something of being, um, uh, being free of something that's never really been there in the first place. Um, it's like, and he, and he talks about it with regard to our sense of self. And in Buddha's teaching, there is the idea of anatta or not self, where there is no fixed self. Like if you kind of peeled away all the layers of you, you would not find a, a little um, image of yourself that was hard and fast and solid and immutable and unchangeable. There is no core of you that cannot be changed. That we're all conditioned by our experiences. We're just all conditioned. And in letting go of that fixed sense, there's, there's an abiding in the idea of emptiness. And uh, it, so the idea of Mary, there's no Mary that has ever been there. So when I'm stuck on Mary... I'm stuck on something that doesn't exist. So if I let go of that concept of Mary, then that's abiding in emptiness. That preconceived notion of who I am, what I like, what I don't like, the way it is, the way I am, my personality. It's rigid and fixed, and it's not rigid and fixed. My personality and a lot of, uh, most of how I am in the world is conditioned by my experiences. And that's true of all of us. And that's true of all things. All things are conditioned. Because of this, this arises. Because of this, this arises. And it goes back to everything. Um, you know, um, I was talking to somebody before class. Because my parents hooked up, I, sh I, I happened, you know. Um, because their parents met. Because their parents met. Because one of their parents moved from Ireland and one of their parents moved from Lithuania. You know, um, because of this, that happened. So you can see this chain of causation stretching all the way back to time immemorial. 
So nothing stands freely on its own self that just was plopped here like some alien pod came fully formed and here I am. So there's a lot of causation. And I, and I was born and I grew up and I started experiencing my surroundings. And I react to things because my brothers were mean to me or my brothers were nice to me or my friends were this or my friends were that. And I grew up in New York City and you grew up in Iowa. We have different conditioned experiences. And we, th- and we come up with ideas of what we think are important or what things that are non-important. So that is all conditioning. And when we let go of these preconceived concepts of I, me, and mine, that's when we are able to dwell in this place of emptiness. And that's kind of that, that idea of not-self. Does this make sense? Any questions about this? Please feel free if... Thank you, that's another way of looking at it. And I hear what you're saying too, but um, I think in Buddhism they might say there's karma involved in that too, mm-hmm. which I don't, I don't want to get into karma. <laughs> hmm? You can get into karma, but... Karma's action. Karma's action, yeah. But getting into that kind of... And then actually the Buddha said, you know, that gets into the metaphysical realm. Well, how come this and not this? And how come I'm born here and not born there? And, how, you know, that is like... It doesn't ease my suffering today, it doesn't, and which is what it's about. It's like being able to be in a place that's not uncomfortable right here, right now. That's, I always like to use the sentence, does it take you away from suffering or does it take you towards suffering? Does it take you away from discomfort or does it take you towards discomfort? And the, the teachings of the Buddha are the teachings that are supposed to take us away from discomfort, not towards discomfort. There's, there's another, there's another um, the idea of emptiness is not that it's a place to get to. It's not that we have to achieve anything, that we arrive at something. It's not something that if we just kind of um, um, do everything right or sit at the, you know, sit enough retreats or meditate enough, then we'll achieve something and that place will be emptiness. It's not out there. That's, that's another theme that runs through the Buddhist teachings. It's not out there. It's here. And Bachelor points out in a couple of the suttas in the Pali Canon, the, 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 the collection of the teachings of the Buddha, um, Ananda, the Buddha's, um, one of the Buddha's uh, uh, um, attendants, thank you, one of the Buddha's attendants says, um, uh, I forgot what I was saying, um, he was talking to one of uh, Ananda and Buddha were talking, and the Buddha said that he dwells in emptiness. So it's not something that it's out there I have to go to, but it's a, it's actually right here, right now. And in the sutta, the Buddha talks is talking to Ananda about a monk who's living in a monastery and it's too noisy, so he goes out into the woods and. Then there's, you know, he doesn't have the other monks who are being too noisy, but then there's something else out there that is bothersome. There's the animals out there. And so then he goes to um, another place and another place, and, and he finally gets to the place of, of, this is, I don't even understand almost what this means, the place of perception and non-perception. Um, and so what the Buddha says, this monk keeps going and searching and running and hiding and looking, and he still is anxious and uncomfortable on the inside because there's no place to go out there where you're not also experiencing all your senses. Your senses are always with you. And so you have to abide 
with the awareness of the senses. And that's kind of a little bit why I was, you know, pointing towards in the meditation is you are, you have your senses, they're not shut down during meditation, how you are with them, how you respond to them, how you hold those are where your anxiety is or isn't. You know, we're human beings and we're going to have pain and discomfort just from the fact that we're human beings. And we're going to have this, um, these senses that we experience pleasant or unpleasant. Um, you know, the, the smell is pleasant or unpleasant. The sound is pleasant or unpleasant. And it's how we hold those without attachment, without aversion, that allows us to live in this emptiness, allows us to live in this freedom. So it's about not going out there, it's about being with what is right here, right now. Without being attached to needing things to be a certain way. Um, in, the, in one of the suttas, the Buddha says, um, was it oh, Tan Jeff, who's another teacher, he says, emptiness is a mode of perception. <coughs> We're empty of presuppositions and stories we attach to things. And we let go of our habitual reactions to our sensory experiences. We let go of our habitual reactions. And we let sound be sound. We don't, we, we hear a sound, we hear a siren. And we don't think, oh, I wonder what that is. I hope nobody's hurt. We go off into the story. It's just sound is sound. Smell is smell. Not, ugh, I hate bell peppers. Ugh. Why do they have to cook with bell peppers all the time? Immediately you smell something and there's a story that attaches to it. And that's what takes us off into these perceptions and habitual responses. So we instead start cultivating sound is sound, smell is smell, thought is thought. It's really difficult with thought because there's so much, um, there's so, there can be so much charge to certain thoughts. You know, we have memories or arguments that we replay in our minds, or we have memories that are painful or memories that are happy. We, have, we plan ahead or we imagine what's going to happen. If this happens, I'll never be able to deal with it. And we work ourselves up into states, present time states of anxiety and emotional um, discomfort and stress based on shit our minds are doing. And the teaching is to let go of that. The teaching is to see how we got glommed onto this thought. <coughs> we took it and we ran with it. And we're suffering as a result of it. We're stressing out as a result of it. So to take us away from suffering, we want to back off from attachment to those things, to those thoughts, to those ideas. Um, so in sound, is, there's only sound. Our, our senses tend to run out and grab things and pull them back. Sound especially. We run out and grab things and want to identify it. We want to perceive it. We want to know it. We want, the con- we want it to be conscious. And in this emptiness, this abiding in emptiness, there is not that. There's just the awareness of this pleasant, unpleasant. But no, no clinging, no attachment. It takes it further. There's another teaching where it says that the ear is empty. And this goes along with this let sound be sound 
let, let image be image. The ear is empty, the eye is empty, the nose is empty, the mouth is empty, the body, it's just empty. There's empty, it points towards emptiness in those types of things. Uh, I went on a retreat a few years ago and it was taught all about emptiness. So I dug out my notes from um, that retreat. One of the things, one of the main things, and I talk, we talk about this a lot, and I think I was talking about it last week, is we have to pay attention when we're looking for um, that freedom from attachment is to remember that two things are happening. There's the sensation, and there's our response to it. That's true of everything. That's always there. There's the experience and there's our response to it. Last week I was talking about fear. There's the fear and that's how we relate to it. There's what the other person says and how we relate to it. There's the emotion arising of joy and how we relate to it. And a lot of times we are not paying attention and we just relate to it without a sense of awareness. We just react. We react blindly. Jealousy, ah, you know? Anger, lash out. Joy, um, I don't have time for this right now. I don't deserve this. Whatever our response is. Yapping dog outside. I want to go out and see what's wrong. Yell at somebody. That guy letting his dog run. And it may not even be a dog. It might be a kid for all I know. <laughs> but that's the thing, too. The mind knows what it is. It hears a sound, and it creates a whole story about it. You know those doors of perception? You know, that what's-his-face Blake was it talked about? And in Plato's cave, all these, all these really wise things about, you know, just we have this much view. We have just the smallest image of what something is, but it, we blow it all into this big idea and we run our lives around it. Or we or create scenarios or, you know, whole stories based on just a little thing that comes into our head and we latch onto and we nurture it, and we feed it, and it grows, and it becomes this big drama, and we suffer over it. They didn't invite me to the party. Nobody likes me. Nobody likes me. Well, you know what? Fuck them. I'm not going to invite them to my party either. And this, this big ball of blech is there inside us. We suffer. We get stressed out. We get angry. We, we go home. We eat hagen dogs or drink vodka or go to the track or, hmm? Or what was it? Now you're talking. <laughs> vodka flavored uh, Ben and Jerry's, right? <laughs> Ew. I'm sure. That... <laughs> yeah. So we get caught up in these things because we're not paying attention and we believe them. Because we're not paying attention. And it's all about the I, me, or mine. It's all about that, that, that sense of I, me, mine. 
It's I'm involved with this. They're, they're not inviting me. I'm hurt. I'm this. I'm that. I'm angry. I'm jealous. I'm happy. We get sucked into that me, 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 me. And that's where um, we suffer so much because we're so caught up in this, this, this idea of self. And all of that stuff out there is happening to us. And when we hear things, we relate them to us. We're the center of the, 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 the center of the universe. And I don't mean that we're all walking around really egotistical. It's just what the mind does. We relate everything to ourselves. We hear sounds, we make up stories, the, the smells, the sensory experiences we have, the thoughts, they're all about us. And there's no, and this is what I was pointing to at the, at the very beginning, there's no um, fixed us that this is all pointing to. It's all conditioning. And we start to let go of these things. We start to recognize that um, maybe it's not all about me. Maybe there wasn't even a party that anybody was invited to. I've had that experience. I thought everybody else was invited to the party except me, and then I re- then I found out it actually wasn't a party, and I was just I just misunderstood something. But I suffered so much from that. Suffered so much from that. How much? How much? How much do we do that? You know, it's not. And I was talking earlier again before class about it's not the big things; it's these little things. That just kind of just kind of follow us around and nibble at us. That make things so uncomfortable. We're just like out of kilter. It's just out of sorts. It's just it's just not quite right. The ease is not quite there. The comfort is not quite there. There's something more I need to do. I need to do this. I need to lose ten pounds. I need to gain ten pounds. I need to get better clothes. I need to get rid of my clothes. I need to live in a better neighborhood. I need to stay where I am. I need to do all of these things. Gotta gotta go do accomplish blah. And the Buddha says, no, that's not going to do it. It's about coming home and investigating your own relationship to what's happening around you, to your experiences. What's happening and how do you react to it? What's happening and how do you react to it? Um, There's some stuff about I, me, my that I wanted to... Okay. This is Tan Jeffs talking about this. The problem with all of this from the um, getting caught up in these, these feelings of anger and these stories, the problem with all of this from the Buddhist perspective is that these stories and views entail a lot of suffering, as I was saying. The more you get involved in them, the more you get distracted from seeing the actual causes of suffering, the labels of I and mine that set the whole process in motion. As a result, you can't find the way to unravel. If, however, you can adopt the, the emptiness mode by not acting on or reacting to anger or the emotion, by simply watching this series of events, you step back. And you no longer put on the overcoat of anger. You no longer put on, you no longer dress up in these emotions, but you step back and you see them as a conditioned response to the experience. That happened, so the anger showed up. It's not my anger, it's not about me, I and mine. It's anger arose, jealousy arose. These seeds of consciousness, these conditioned responses 
all conditioned responses based on our experiences that we may not even remember. These things may have been implanted so long ago, I can't sit and trace, you know, that, oh, it was that experience. You know, my brother kept smacking me around until I learned how to tell time. Oh, that's why I'm afraid of giving a wrong answer. Oh, I understand now. You may not even be able to put two and two together. But we know that this is the response. And it's old, and it's habitual, and it's like the same thing. You ever spend that your time going, why do I keep doing this same old thing over and over again? Keep having these habitual responses. So instead of just autopilot, we learn to see what they are, step back from them, and get some freedom. Don't put on the I mantle, the my mantle, the mind mantle. Just say it's a, just a response, a conditioned response. That's where there's some freedom. It's not all about us. I'm not angry. I'm not jealous. I'm not, I'm not this, that, or the other. But it's showing up. How do I deal with it? How do I hold that? without causing additional harm to myself or others, without creating another bunch of suffering. So this is what emptiness is about. Seeing how there's no, um, there's no need to attach and letting go of that idea of I, me, and my. Any questions about this? Yeah. Um, I've, I've had trouble with the word emptiness, I mm-hmm. think, sometimes as it relates to talking about the world, mm-hmm. that the world is intrinsically empty, mm-hmm. and I always had trouble understanding that because it feels like there's so much that's arising around me, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder if that's something, if it's the word itself as it's translated, or if there's something that I'm not understanding. No, and thank you for that. And it may just be your response to the word empty because I know different things in Buddhist teachings. There's different words that I don't really feel comfortable with, like um, that that have a, a, there's a response in me that's, you know, gets in the way of me hearing what the teaching is. And so it might be the word emptiness. It doesn't mean, it doesn't lead to nihilism. It doesn't mean that all, there's nothing and everything is like meaningless. It doesn't mean that at all. Um, but some people can, when you, they talk about it, somebody was talking about it in in some of the stuff I was reading, that there's, has that, that when there's an intellectual, people intellectually try and understand the concept, um, it can tend to lead to that idea of there's nothing's important and it's why bother and, you know, it's all leading to nothingness, so, you know, might as well all jump off a bridge you know, or something like, and that's not what it means. I mean, when you come and you start experiencing the letting go, there's a very different flavor to it. So you might find a different word if emptiness is something that's like, uh, it just doesn't work. Shunyata is the word, um, shunyata, and um, so you can, you know, find void or whatever, something that means like, I don't know, I can't think of a different word, but... And I don't even know if it's em- it's not empty in the sense of like there's nothing in this bowl like this bowl well, is empty. Not for your content, 
Yeah, yeah. It's a different type of. It's just not. It's it's just like and um, that's why I'm. I want to spend some more time with Bachelor's idea and the suttas of dwelling in emptiness. And in that that idea of the Buddha's teaching and dwelling in emptiness, it's that we still have these sensations and we still have these these experiences that arise, but there's not an attachment to them. We don't re- react to them. There's a freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion around them. There's a freedom from craving. There's a freedom from aversion. There's no preference. You know, there's no, pre- oh, anger arises. I prefer to have joy arise. That's just like, it's like this. What is it? What's the question that he says he, he learned to ask in the monastery, and he's been um, asking it ever since? Um, what I, I don't remember, but it's like, what is it? It's like the question is, what is this? What is this? It's like living with an, with um, not um, what's a what's a Zen mind, Buddha Zen mind, beginner's mind, beginner's mind, not knowing mind, constantly just a not knowing because when we we have preconceived notions, we have the answer. So it's freedom from preconceived notions. It's freedom from preconception. It's freedom from those stories. So the emotions still arise because we still have the, the, uh, the uh, what do you want to call it, the senses, these six sense spheres that we're experiencing as human beings walking around, but we're not, um, we're not attaching stories to them. Sound is empty. Smell is empty. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds good. Because I like in the in the eightfold path, there's one of the one of the sections of the path is virtue. Silo is generally translated as virtue, and I don't like that word. <laughs> so I like integrity, you know, and I think, oh, that's, I like that one a little bit better. Um, so it is, it's, it's, and like people suffering, people sometimes don't, can't get around the, the word suffering because it doesn't seem to relate to their lives. I kind of went, I don't suffer, but there's a lot of discomfort. There's a lot of dissatisfaction. So I think you want to find your own way with it and, and, and connect more with the with the, the concept than maybe the word. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I'm reading a book by Bachelor now, and he translates uh, dukkha as anxiety. Anxiety. Um, this is that word, which is really wonderful. Yeah, um, Tana Sarabiku translates it as stress. And the, actually, when I was doing a sutta study last year, um, there are 14 different translations of dukkha. I think it's 14-ish, uh, depending on where it's used and how it's used. So if you stick, there was one translator, Bhikkhu Bodhi, who did the translation of the, this section of the suttas, said that the guy who was translating it before him you did, wanted to pick one translation for every word. So he would only, like, if the word dukkha appears, it's suffering. If the word sukha appears, it's this. If the word, you know, vedana appears, it's this. But you can't do that with language. It's too fluid, you know. It's too fluid, and there's, you know, you have too many synonyms. 
So um, you have to be, it's good not to be too rigid with our language either. And that sometimes is the problem. We get, we get stuck on the rigidity of the language and we have to be a little bit less rigid with that as well.